me now. Well, good morning. It's really great to be out with all y'all again, especially it's been a little bit since I've been here, I feel like. Uh, I've been a little bit of here, there, and everywhere in the last few weeks, but it's always great to be back with the friendly faces here. It's just studying God's Word together again. I'm going to be a little bit aloof today compared to how I normally am. I might not shake as many hands or greet as many faces as usual because my wife, Elaine, she came down with a fever this morning and I'm just going to be careful. So I'm going to cover my face today and shout unclean, unclean, unclean and we'll get through one week and we'll be back to normal next week, hopefully. For a second, I want to talk about the idea of inclusivity. It's a pretty big buzzword right now. You can find plenty of articles on inclusive leadership strategies, how to form an inclusive community or friend group, how to foster an inclusive environment around yourself, how to use inclusive language when you talk, how to educate, design, and research inclusively. That concept is everywhere. And because of that word's prevalence in our culture, that means that it comes into religion. There's inclusive churches, inclusive preachers, inclusive worship. You may have heard about some of these things. And the idea of being inclusive in and of itself, the idea of not excluding any people or groups purposefully, that's a good thing, especially in the church, But a lot of times, as you probably know, what's meant by being inclusive is by taking some stances as a church that the Bible doesn't support. And so we would obviously reject that. But then some churches are so scared of this push for false inclusivity And they become isolated completely from the world. If you're not this kind of person from this kind of background, if you're not a card-carrying third-generation Christian, or if you don't vote for this party or that party, you may not be welcome in this church, which is also obviously wrong. And so the question for us as Christians is, is who do we accept, both as a church and as Christians? And that's a tough question. But if it helps, it's not a uniquely American or 21st century problem. Some of these very same questions are already addressed for us in the scriptures. And so we're going to spend most of our time today in 2nd and 3rd John, because these are books that actually address this question pretty directly. And then we'll kind of put it all together at the end. If you would turn with me to the book of 2nd John... It's a pretty short book, so I'm just going to read the whole book and just let it tell its own story. The book of 2 John. The elder to the elect lady and her children whom I love in truth. And not only I, but also all who know the truth because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I was writing you a new commandment, but the one that we had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, 
that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and to talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. So let's go through some of the main points of this book before we sort of get into the matter at hand. And did you kind of notice some of the main themes in this book? Because to me, I see love and truth come up over and over again, especially at the beginning. By my count, love and truth come up four times each. That doesn't sound like a lot, but when you only have 13 verses, four times each is a lot. That's pretty significant. And that's important, especially that he starts the book rooted in truth and love. Because that means that whatever John the Elder commands here, it is rooted in these two concepts. Whatever comes next is rooted in love and truth. And look at how important this love is. Look how he begins the letter again in verse 5. But now I ask you, lady, not as if I were writing a new commandment to you, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. That's the first kind of command here, that we love each other. But as we've talked about before in different sermons, and I'm sure that you guys know, this idea of love here is not what we as 21st century Americans normally think about as love. In fact, it's very much rooted in this other concept, the concept of truth. Look at what it says in verse 6. Now this is love. This is the definition of love in this book. That we walk according to his commandments. And you see that over and over again in the Bible, right? That what love is, both to God and to everyone else, is to follow what God says to do. That's what love is in the Bible. You cannot separate love from the truth. John says that's how you love one another, which you have to do because there is no room for anything else but love in the church. But what love is, is to do what God says to do. That is true love, as we say sometimes. But I want to back up for a second. Do you see who this letter is written to? Do you see who the recipient of this letter is? It says, the elect lady and her children in verse 1. And you may be wondering, you know, who is this lady? You know, what is the elder actually talking about here? And I'll say that I come from the, I guess it is an opinion, but I think it's an opinion pretty well grounded, that this 
elect lady is actually a local congregation and the members of it are the children. I'm not going to go into the weeds of all of that because it gets into some pretty like nitty gritty linguistic stuff. Uh, So if you want to talk about it later, I'll be happy to. But suffice to say for now, the point is that this gives us a great opportunity. Because at the beginning of this lesson, we ask the question, who do we accept as a church? And we're going to get a divinely given answer to that question, at least in part. And so now let's actually look at what that answer is. The answer is actually kind of negative, right? Seems to be a little bit on its surface. Uh, Verses 9 through 11 says that everyone who goes on ahead and does not remain in the teachings of Christ does not have God. The one who remains in his teaching has both the Father and Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, that teaching of God, don't receive him into your house. Don't give him any greeting. Because the person that gives him a greeting shares in his evil deeds. So the idea is that anyone who teaches something contrary to what God teaches can't be accepted in the church. We don't like that idea, do we? It's not very comfortable, is it? To keep those teaching falsehood at arm's length. But I want you to remember this is rooted in love, right? We said that in the beginning, that this whole book is rooted in love. But keeping people away who teach the wrong things, that doesn't sound very loving. At least not by worldly standards, does it? But you have to remember, what is love tied to in this book? Love is inseparable from the truth. Love is inseparable from doing what God says. And by that view of love, can true love ever allow falsehoods into the church? Of course not. Since love is following God, it's not loving to allow someone to come into the church and spread evil. It's not loving to the false teacher to allow them to continue in falsehood without correcting them. Of course, correcting them in love, but a love that's rooted in the truth. So the picture of 2 John is pretty clear. Who do we accept? Well, maybe 2 John kind of addresses that a little bit from the negative sense. Who we cannot accept is that a church cannot tolerate false teaching. That means those that preach falsehood, those that come into the church and teach and incite anything that's against the teachings of God. The loving thing to do is that they need to be corrected in the truth of God. But ultimately, if they continue, you have to take a step away from them. That's the loving thing to do for the church as a whole, but also for the sinful brother. So let's continue on into 3 John. We'll actually find a pretty similar uh, topic talked about here. So let's just start again by reading the whole book. You get two whole books for the price of one sermon, guys. 
The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Behold, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us, and not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers, and also stops those who want to, and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God, and whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has, re has received a good testimony from everyone, and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write it with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you Greet the friends each by name. All right, again, I want to start with the same emphasis on truth and love. Because, again, the elder puts the same emphasis on it. You notice you can see love mentioned in these 13 verses three times. Although once is in a negative sense with diatrophies. But we'll get to that in a second. How many times is truth mentioned here? It's quite a bit. The word truth or true, by my count, was mentioned seven times. And I'll admit, I tried to count really fast as I was reading. So it may not be seven, but it's pretty close to seven. And so you see, both of these concepts, this interlocked truth and love together, are still extremely important to the message of 3 John as well. Whatever comes next, again, is going to be rooted in that love, which is doing Jesus' commandments. That love following God's Truth. And I want us to notice again, who is this letter addressed to? It's not as hard this time. It's Gaius, a dear brother. So it's not an entire congregation this time, as with the elect lady of 2 John. It is to one man, to one Christian brother. And that gives us a different kind of opportunity here. Because we saw in 2 John the responsibility of the church... The part of the answer is, who does the church as a whole, as one body, accept? And here in 3 John, we get a little bit of a different perspective. Who should I, as a Christian, accept? And then we'll get the chance to kind of compare and contrast a bit, which I think is going to be helpful to all of us. Do you see what John says here? First, Gaius is praised by John for welcoming in Christian brothers. He says, verse 5, you demonstrate your faithfulness by whatever you do for the brothers, even though they are strangers. Gaius is being hospitable and kind to Christian strangers. And by, by that, 
He is showing his faithfulness. He is showing his dedication to that love based in truth. In that he is accepting and supporting the Christians. These guys are probably missionaries that are traveling around to preach. That seems to be what the text suggests here. But this could naturally get extended to all Christians. That part of showing your faithfulness to God as a Christian is by supporting other Christians and by helping them however they need. In fact, I find verse 6 incredible because after the elder lifts up Gaius for his work in supporting the brethren, look at what he tells him to do in verse 6. You will do well to send them on their way in a a manner worthy of what? In a manner worthy of God. You see that the charge is to support these Christians in a manner worthy of God. That you are to help them and support them as you would if Jesus were before you. In fact, you do it as an act of worship to God. And that makes sense, right? Because if you think about Matthew 25, what does Jesus say there? That as you feed the hungry, welcome the stranger, clothe the naked, visit the sick and in prison, you are doing it to Jesus himself. That's called righteousness. Here it's called faithfulness. But to be righteous, to be faithful, to be acceptable to God, you must seek those who need help and then actually help them. And there in Matthew 25, there isn't even the sort of add-on that Jesus is talking about those who follow him specifically. But Jesus says to serve those in need is to serve him. So as we think about 3 John, as we kind of apply that into 3 John, how much more should we as Christians, the ones who proclaim to seek to love others in the truth of Jesus... How much more should we help our fellow Christians? Those that, as verse 7 say, go on forth on behalf of the name. That is God's name. Christians are called to serve and help those who are Christians, even if they are strangers. And to do it in service to God. As if we are feeding, clothing, visiting, and supporting Jesus himself. And that's not always an easy thing to do. In fact, I'm going to say most of the time it's not a very easy thing to do, is it? That opens you up to hurt and disappointment and betrayal and all kinds of other bad things you can think of. That opens you up to being taken advantage of sometimes. That's the truth. But is that an excuse? Well, I shouldn't say is that an excuse because there's a lot of things that are excuses. Is that a good reason? Is that a biblical reason to not help these people? Because 3 John says it's absolutely essential. And the rest of the 3 John shows us why. Because a decent chunk of the rest of the book talks about a man named Diotrephes. And whereas... Gaius loved the church and he loved the Christians. Some translations say Diotrephes loved to be first. He loved himself. 
He loved power. And because of that, Diotrephes rejected John. He rejected these stranger preachers. And Diotrephes refused to accept these strangers in. And he actually pushed people out of the church who welcomed these Christians in. And we'll come back to him in a second. So to just kind of summarize the message of these two books, as 2 John calls on the church to refuse to bring in certain people, those who are actively teaching and spreading this false doctrine, 3 John calls on Gaius and all Christians, I would say, to accept all Christians and condemns Diotrephes, putting himself over his, in his own interests over service to the brethren. And therefore, service to our Lord Jesus. Before we end this lesson, I want to take a second to put the messages of these two books together and try to find a couple of applications for us on who we should accept. What should inclusion look like, both for the church and for Christians? And first, and maybe an obvious point, is that we can't accept sin. And that might seem obvious. We all know, like when it's, when it's on the board like that, that's really easy to say, yeah, of course. Of course we can't accept false teaching. But there are some hard choices to make. As the world pushes accepting sin, and as they call accepting sin inclusion, and when the world defines love as accepting everyone's decisions and choices no matter what, And not accepting sin can become bigoted or it can become hate speech or all kinds of other things. And they'll say, I thought you Christians were about love. Everything you're saying sounds pretty unloving to me. And if we're not grounded in the word, that might sound true. The pressure is going to keep increasing for God's people to abandon God's commands. And that's why it's so important to remember what 2 John says love is. Because 2 John 6 says that this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. That's what love is, both to God, to our families, to the church, to the rest of the world. That we do what God says. That we strive to please God first. And you let the rest fall where it may. And that means rejecting sin. That means correcting those in sin. That means sometimes having to draw a line as a church and say, that behavior, that false teaching can't be a part of the work here. And to reject false teachers. Because everyone who goes on ahead and does not remain in the teaching of Christ, they don't have God. And that means that our love has to be focused outward, right? Our love isn't focused on me. My love has to be focused on bringing others closer to God. And bringing Myself and my will closer to God's will. And that means that I have to love those that are in sin. 
I have to especially love those that are in sin. And I have to show them love by sharing the truth. Not dismissing them or screaming at them or anything like that. That doesn't bring anyone closer to God. Not getting into Facebook arguments. As John would say, I don't want to have those arguments over pen and ink. I want to do this conversation face to face. But correcting others gently in the love, that is the truth. Because that's what love is. And that brings us to the second point. Because like we said, a lot of churches and Christians are so wary, I think is a good word, of this push for the acceptance of sin, that they start pushing away people who are in sin and maybe pushing away people who are actually looking for the truth. People that are looking for a spiritual family, but maybe they have some troubles, whether physical or spiritual. And as is almost always the case when we build our lifestyles out of fear of appearing like another group of people, we push too far in the opposite direction. And to me, that sounds a lot like Diotrephes. Because remember, Diotrephes, he loved being the first. He loved having power and control. And in response to Diotrephes, 3 John 11 says, Dear friend, do not imitate what is bad, but what is good. The one who does good is of God, and the one who does what is bad has not seen God. Why do you think that John emphasizes this here? Diotrephes is clearly the bad guy, right? Why does John need to emphasize that we can't imitate him? I think it's because it's really easy to become diatrophies. Not that we try to take the power of the whole church or that we're excommunicating people or anything like that, like diatrophies did. But how easy is it to refuse to be hospitable? It's pretty easy, right? How easy is it to refuse to help other Christians? That's pretty easy. And there's a lot of reasons that we might do that. But I tell you what, if we think about it, a lot of them probably boil down to this, that we love being first in our own lives. We don't like having to sacrifice that part of the budget or that amount of time or that amount of work. And so we don't help the people that we know that we should. And then we come here to service and we praise God and we talk about love and we pretend that everything is going right. Is that love? Because that's not the love in truth that Jesus calls us to. That's not the sacrificial love in true righteousness. You see, it's easy to be diatrophies. It may not look the same, but when I put myself first, when I do what I want to do, when I do what makes me more comfortable, instead of serving the brethren, I'm being diatrophies. And I don't have a part in God when I do that. And I think we're all a little bit more like Diotrephes than we care to admit. 
And so I urge you not to accept sin, not to turn a blind eye to evil, but to think, am I refusing to bring this person in because of the love I have for them? Am I refusing to give this person a ride or share a meal or give them some financial aid or to mow their lawn or to rake their leaves or whatever it is because of my love for others? Or is it because I love myself and I love being the first in my own life and I love having the power in my life? Because I think if we're honest with ourselves, that's more often than not the case. Because the emphasis is that all of this is in love and truth. Because the church doesn't reject people because of how they look or because of their background or because of any physical thing. That's what James 2, 1 through 7, I think, says. That we can never reject people because they're poor or because they're different than us, not for differing political viewpoints. None of that. That's not what we reject people for. God calls that blasphemy. That's not me speaking. That's God. He says the sin of partiality is blasphemy in James 2. We are to accept those who are willing to give themselves to God. That is full stop. We should be seeking to love and serve all men and to bring all closer to God. And Christians should serve and bring in Christians. And sometimes that means tough love. Sometimes that means correcting evil, for sure. But sometimes that means bringing someone into your home and feeding them a meal. Or by checking up on how they're doing asking them if they need anything, and then actually doing what they need. You need both. That's love in truth. That's inclusivity. Real love, real inclusivity. And we're going to pray about that right now. Dear Heavenly Father, Help us show your true love. Help us to have the boldness to correct sin, even with all the worldly pressures to conform and to go past your teachings. Help us to remember that true love and inclusion is founded on you and your teaching, and that true love is to do your will. Help us to look for people to serve and to do it. Help us to put away our pride and our desire for ourselves and to focus on serving the brethren and our fellow man. Thank you so much for being the God of love, the God who welcomes all, no matter their physical situation or their background. Thank you for being the God who is willing to forgive our mistakes and for being the God who welcomes all that love you. We seek to imitate you in all things. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.